If you're new here today, we are midway through a series called The Abundant Life. And the big question of this series is, what's the good life? I mean, what makes men and women truly, deeply, consistently happy? Not happy in a superficial, plastered smile on your face kind of happy. A happy that is deep with joy and gratitude and contentment. What is the good life? Now, there is a Christian answer to this question based on the words of Jesus, because he says that he came to give his disciples life. Now, the Greek word he uses is not bios, that means life. He uses the word zoe, which means abundant life, the good life. Now, at the same time, if you're living in the 21st century in America, here in Austin, Texas, you will hear answers from our culture to that question. You will be told many ways to have the good life. The first answer we talked about last week was be true to yourself. Be authentic. You will have a good life if you just don't act like anybody else, don't conform to anybody else, just be who you are. Then we talked about the Christian alternative to that, which is to be true and faithful to Christ before ourselves. The second answer we talked about last week, that first answer was two weeks ago. The second uh, thing we talked about was to go shopping. This is kind of a summary word for it, but to devour more and more and more, to be consumeristic, to be materialistic, uh, to get all the things you want. And the Christian alternative to that uh, was not to just consume everything we crave, but to receive life as a gift, to create rather than consume, and to actually fast, to go for periods of time without good things just for the sake of God. And this week we're talking about another answer from our culture, which is to leave Christianity behind. This one is a bit more of a communal answer. It's if we want to have a good life, if our society is going to improve, we just need to leave Christianity behind, and society will advance. Things will improve. Now, this answer is less of a way of life and more of a story that we buy into, whether we know it or not. So I'm going to tell that story. I'm going to talk about the appeal of that story. I'm going to talk about the limits of that story, and then I'm going to kind of give an alternative Christian version of that story. And I promise this really is a sermon. Maybe at some point it's not going to be the kind of sermon you may be used to, but I promise I'm going to preach the good news. So let's start with the story that many of us hear, many of us buy into whether we know it or not. And this story is going to start with a very well-made graph by Mitchell East. If we rewind to the beginning of human history, those sad humans who lived all the way back then know far less than we know now. They would look up into the night sky, they would see lightning flash, and they would presume this must be the work of the gods. Because in the beginning, men and women were pagans. They believed in many gods, but they viewed them not as compassionate or full of grace, but actually arbitrary and cruel and unpredictable. They didn't know what uh, pleased the gods or made the gods upset, so they would just do anything to appease them. If we offer sacrifices or burn incense to worship these gods, maybe, just maybe, they won't take their wrath out on us. Now, along the way, a few thousand years ago, this huge religious innovation happened 
this small group of people in the Middle East started to say that their God was the only God. These were the Jews who said that everyone else's gods were false gods. And to an extent, this was an improvement because it, it actually made a little bit more sense. But here's the thing. Despite that religious innovation, they were just as deluded because the fact is whether you believe in many gods or one god, your religion can justify just about anything you want to do. Human history shows Religion, at the end of the day, always does more harm than good. Whether you're a pagan at the top of that line and you offer your children up as human sacrifices, whether you're a Jewish king and you're corrupt, whether you're a Christian behind the Crusades, whatever religion you pick, it can justify anything you do, the most violent behavior imaginable. Now, here's the good news to this story. We have discovered, as enlightened Westerners, Europeans, and Americans, that there are no gods, or there's not just one God. And, and as we've realized this, our society has improved. In the, in the past few centuries, we've discovered that if you just throw out religion, and Christianity in particular, you can throw out all the violence justified by religion. Now, fortunately, this process of secularism has started, but it hasn't finished yet. There are still Christians who are naively holding on to their views, and the rest of us are facing the consequences. You know, Christianity makes us more repressed, which is no fun at all. Christianity makes us exclude people who are different. Christianity, you know, Christians force their beliefs onto their children and onto the rest of society. But here's the good news. Overall, overall, history is moving in the right direction. Yes, there are some backlashes, but not forever. We know that the red line of progress will continue. So if we're patient, if we educate people out of their false religious views, eventually things will change. People will leave their faiths behind, and more and more will just accept, I guess, what might be the hard truth that we are alone in the universe. There's no God, no afterlife, no angels or demons, and no miracles. There's just us doing what we can to make this life better. And instead of being distracted by God like all the Christians are, we'll be more focused on reality, what we can do here, not what will happen in the hereafter. Now, that's the story that a lot of us hear in many different ways, through many different mediums. But what's the appeal of this story? You may have been shaking your head the whole time. That story's not true. That story's not true. But we have to ask, what's appealing about it? Is there anything about it that's compelling to us? Well, first of all, I think it's appealing because it's simple. In this version of history, there are obvious good guys and obvious bad guys. It's a clear, tidy, clean narrative about world history. The arc is long, but it bends towards progress. Second, I think that story is really appealing because it's encouraging. If you're at the end of that line, if you're the youngest generation, guess what? You're a part of the best generation, right? More and more progress is happening through you. It, th this story tells us we've, we've accomplished so much and we can leave so much bad stuff behind. Think about the days of America where slavery was institutionalized. We've moved past that. Think about the days when women weren't allowed to vote. We've moved past that. Maybe it's all uphill from here, this story has a kind of internal hope, a trajectory of where history is headed. Third and finally, I think this is really appealing because to some extent, in some areas, in some ways, the story is true. 
The treatment of women has improved. Child labor laws have protected kids. Treatment of criminals has improved in some ways. The fight against racism has won some victories in this country for the past few decades. There have been a host of laws protecting people with disabilities. Y'all, there has been real progress. So to some extent, this story appeals. It's clear. There are obvious good guys and bad guys. It's encouraging. And to some extent, it's true. But here's the thing. Like, every, we've done this every single week. We've got to ask, well, what are the limits to this story? Does it break down at any point? Are there any aspects of this story that don't hold up? Now, here's the first one. There have been real attempts at leaving Christianity behind in human history whether it's Christianity in particular or religion in general, there have been societies that have been atheist in their foundations. And here's the thing. If we're going to talk about the failures of Christian societies, and we should, well, we also can and should talk about the failures of atheist societies, okay? We've got to do both. We've got to own all of our history, not just parts of it. So if you go back to the 1700s and you go to the French Revolution, what do you find? You find a revolution that rejected Christianity and resulted in tens of thousands of death. It released a waves upon waves of violence. If you go back uh, to the 1900s in Russia, the USSR explicitly rejected the Christian faith. It persecuted the R Russian Orthodox Church, and the dictator Joseph Stalin killed millions he is probably responsible for more than three times the deaths of Hitler. And his society, his party, was atheist. If you go to the Chinese Communist Party today, it totally rejects God, and it operates as an authoritarian regime. Concentration camps are not a thing of the past. They are real and practiced today with Muslims in China. If you leave behind religion, you do not leave violence behind. Christians have to own the terrible, dark aspects of our history, but atheists and Christians alike have been violent, and we as humans justify our violence in many different ways. This story is limited because it just doesn't tell the whole truth. The second limit is a question that follows from that first one. This is what I'd want to know from anybody who's genuinely desiring a better society. Do you want to leave everything in Christianity behind. We talked about this idea in this first sermon in this series. Sometimes we want to pick and choose which parts of Christianity we want to leave behind, but do we want to leave behind everything? If you want women to be treated better, can you do that without the idea that men and women are alike made in the image of God? If you want orphans to have parents, to take them in. How can you do that without the idea from the Hebrew prophets to take care of the fatherless? If you can't answer some of those basic questions, you can't establish a foundation for the most basic aspects of a society you want. That means that if you leave Christianity behind, if you leave it to the past, if you say we're going to progress and advance and improve past that, you might leave things behind like human rights an abolition of slavery and prison reform and equal opportunity and fair treatment under the law. This man, Friedrich Nietzsche, was an atheist from the 1800s, and he also has an incredible mustache. He wrote these very famous words. 
God is dead, and we have killed him. Friedrich Nietzsche was an atheist who thought Christianity was terrible for every society that it influenced, and he predicted that it would come to an end. But here's the thing. He wanted it to end. He thought Christianity was terrible, but he warned all Europeans that they would not like what was left over after Christianity was gone. And he is absolutely right about that. You can't pick and choose what you want to keep from the Bible. If Christ goes, so does everything connected to him. Third and finally, if we buy into this narrative of inevitable progress, things will always get better as long as we leave Christianity behind, we will end up accepting whatever is consensus in our culture at the time, right? Think about this logic. If down here in the past everything was bad, everything was worse than what we have now, and over here at the youngest generation, this is the greatest end of history, well, what is mostly widely accepted here will be considered progress, But here's the thing, we don't take our cues from consensus. As Christians, we look to Christ as our example. He informs how we think we should live. We shouldn't assume that what's ever at this end of the the graph is best. We don't assume that whatever is consensus is good. And that's, that's the core issue here. There is no human made utopia. Not now, not in the future, and not in the past. That's why we need to listen to the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. Listen to these words. I'm going to say them slowly because they need to settle in. Sometimes we think Ecclesiastes is this really depressing book. It's an honest and truthful book. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to its place. The wind blows to the south And to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. The author of Ecclesiastes is just looking at nature, nature in all of its cycles. And he just says these are common sense observations, but you need to apply them to human history. What has been will be again. And what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. Y'all, Ecclesiastes is not saying that cars have been around forever. The author of Ecclesiastes is saying, stop thinking you are the first generation in history to go through what you're going through. I imagine, maybe I'm alone in this, I imagine that everyone is sick of the word unprecedented. Y'all, we have heard that this past two years nonstop, y'all. Pandemics are not unprecedented. I mean, in February 2020, I was clueless that just 100 years ago, there was this thing called the Spanish flu. Now I pretend like I've always known about it, but I definitely didn't at the time. Because the author of Ecclesiastes is right. (laughs) Generations come and go. What has been will be again. And what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Stop acting like you're the first generation to go through what you're going through. The author of Ecclesiastes says, look, no one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered. In other words, our memory is short, and our short memory just makes us so 
naive. We think that we can make some utopia at some point in the future. But here's the stark reality. There is no utopia waiting for us there. In the early 1900s, there were these philosophers who really thought that we were at the, that, like, right on the cusp of a new age of humanity. There was this really optimistic sense that the world was changing for the better. We were right on the edge of a bright new future in the 20th century. And then we didn't have one but two world wars in the bloodiest century in human history. Turns out we're still able to go to war with each other because there's no utopia just waiting for us a few years in the future, and we cannot look to the past either. Americans have actually tried this. In the 1800s, there were tons of attempts in America to make these perfect human societies, the Oneida community, the Shakers, New Harmony. You can go to websites online that list all of the attempted utopias, they were really optimistic Americans that thought, okay, just we can make it here. And then they were ruined in just a short amount of time. Y'all, Onita just makes silverware now. They don't make utopias because it can't be done. No generation can make a perfect society. You can dismiss boomers or you can dismiss Zoomers. Each generation has its own struggles, which is why... No generation can save us. I know it sounds like a depressing sermon from gra for Grandparents' Day, but trust me, this was planned ahead of time. I actually think this sermon is really good news for all generations. Sometimes we set generations up to be the ones to save us, but that is an undue burden that no generation can handle. It sets us up for failure. No generation can offer us redemption. And when we fall into this belief that maybe there is a generation that, that can save us, we either look back with nostalgia about previous generations or we look down our noses on previous generations, but neither actually helps us. And of all places, I think the church is where we can get rid of this false story. Because in the church, we don't worship ancestors and we don't worship youth. I know Christians from older generations who have virtues that I lack, and I want to learn those virtues from them. And I know younger Christians who see needed reforms in the church. No generation can save us, but each generation needs the same Savior. If you're a boomer, you're Gen X, you're millennials, you're Gen Z. None of us can solve our own problems, but Jesus Christ can save us all. Now, when you look at all of these ideas that we hear in our culture, be true to yourself, be authentic, go shopping, devour more, consume more, leave Christianity behind, progress, advance, improve. This is kind of a story we buy into whether we know it or not. It accumulates to kind of control our lives, and we buy into it whether we realize it or not. So the big question for us is, well, what's the alternative? What's the alternative to this story? Well, I think it's reclaiming the Christian story. History is complicated. We don't need a bar graph that shows us inevitable improvement. We also don't need a graph that shows inevitable decline. History is messy. What anchors us in the works, what anchors us is the works of God 
throughout human history. Creation and the fall and the choosing of Abraham and his family, Jesus' arrival in our world and his second coming. Even though history is a mess, we know what God has done throughout human history, and we need to reclaim that story and live by it. We have this Christian epic depicted in the Bible throughout church history that shows us a new story to live by. Don't leave Christianity behind. Reclaim the Christian story and take it with you into the future. If we buy into this narrative of inevitable, inevitable progress, ultimately you will try to get yourself on, quote, the right side of history. But as long as we are sinners, there is no such thing. All of our best efforts cannot save us from sin or Satan or death. The only one who can save us is the author of history, the one who will write the end of history and close the final chapter and bring us into eternity. His side is the only side that you want to be on. Let's pray. Father, we hear this story all the time, that if we just left our faith behind, things would get better. And there's so many appealing aspects of that story, but when we look in history, we don't, we don't actually see that. That story doesn't live up to the truth. But Father, we need your help reclaiming this story. Sometimes we think that maybe, maybe that Christian story isn't true. Maybe we don't think it lives up. Father, we ask that you help us recall this story, to read scripture and actually see the way history goes. And even in the mess of human history, what anchors us is your works in creation all that you've done for us, all that you're doing for us today, and all that you will do in the future. We ultimately have to trust in your guidance of history, the fact that you are the author of the beginning, middle, and end. Father, we need to know how this story affects our life today. Give us your Holy Spirit to help us apply this story to our lives. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.